Welcome to Church Restricted, a four-part teaching on holiness, marriage, sexuality, and relationships. This series is written and presented by Todd Hunter and is brought to you by The Way Community Bendigo. Find out more at the-way.com.au. We pray that this teaching blesses you. Well, everyone, uh, welcome to session two of Church R-Rated. <laughs> and uh, it's probably no more so considering tonight's subject. Um, we're going to hit on uh, some pretty big stuff tonight, a, a scourge of our society. Uh, we're going to talk about pornography, and we're, uh, along with that, we're going to talk about masturbation. And, uh, you know, it's just, <laughs> just dealing with these subjects, just, you know, having to bring them up is... I mean, it's cringeworthy, right? It's, it's a cringeworthy subject. Um, and because it's so cringeworthy, I think that's why so much of the church has not been willing to, to face it and to deal with it. But tonight we're going to, and um, I'm going to look at the, the issue of porn, I'm going to look at the issue of masturbation. We're going to kind of un, unpack um, what's really going on with this stuff, uh, why porn and masturbation are a problem, just in case someone's got any doubts on that. We're, we're actually going to explain why they're an issue. Um, we're going to have a look at how big this problem actually is, even within the church. I think that's the thing that you've, you've got to understand is that we know that this stuff is of issue in the world, but uh, it's, it's in the church as well. And um, what you can do about getting free. Now, I understand that I'm in a community of born-again, spirit-filled, grace-empowered, activated believers. But even in an environment like this, these things can be an issue. And if it is not an issue for you, then that doesn't mean, well, I just get to check out on this. No, because every single person who is in this room is or will be at some point in your walk a leader. And as a leader, I can just about guarantee you that the next person that you find yourself discipling will likely be battling with this issue. So I, I want to start off by just having a look at, uh, we're going to talk about pornography first. And uh, I've got some facts on porn to share with you. And uh, no, I didn't have to do extensive research to find out this information. Um, if you want to find this sort of stuff out for yourself, there is a great website called Fight the New Drug. And it's got all the information you could possibly want on dealing with this subject without having to get your eyes dirty. Um, so here's some, some pretty grueling statistics. Uh, 
64% of young people aged between 30, 13 and 24 actively seek out pornography weekly or more often. 64% of young people between the ages of 13 and 24 actively seek out pornography once a week or more. Now, so that's teenagers. The, these wonderful little inventions, what they have done is given kids that had to go and sneak into, you know, to try to buy magazines at a petrol station, which was, which was what was happening in our generation, now can just flip open their phone. It is that easy. And the number of parents that don't have a clue what their kids are doing on their phone is truly terrifying. Uh, teenage girls are significantly more likely to actively seek out porn than women 25 years old or above. Um, some of these stats I'm bringing out, um, you'll find it uh, talking about females. And I think that one of the, the myths that we need to bust, especially around um, this subject, is that it's only hormone-enraged teenage boys that are into this stuff. Right? It, it definitely crosses genders. Yes, males are more likely to engage more often, but the female trends only run a little bit behind, and, and you'll see that as we go through it. A study of 14 to 19-year-olds found that females who consumed pornographic videos were at a significantly greater likelihood of being victims of sexual harassment or sexual assault. A Swedish study of 18-year-old males found that frequent consumers of pornography were significantly more likely to have sold and bought sex than other boys of the same age. So to say that pornography is just a harmless activity, this Swedish study showed that there was a direct correlation between porn and prostitution. A, two, uh, sorry, a 2015 meta-analysis of 22 studies from seven countries found that internationally, the consumption of pornography was significantly associated with increases in verbal and, and physical aggression amongst males and females alike. So pornography doesn't just lead to sexual perversion, it actually leads to violence. A recent UK survey found that 44% of males aged between 11 and 16 who consumed pornography reported that online pornography gave them ideas about the type of sex that they wanted to try. 
Now, one of the things that we, we know, especially about the way males work, is what you're exposed to in your youth becomes a pattern for, for later life. And so we're, we're seeing that coming out in this. Um, porn sites receive more regular traffic than, sorry, than Netflix, Amazon, and Twitter combined each month. Thirty-five percent of all downloads from the internet are porn. A greater than a third of everything, of everything on the internet that gets downloaded is porn. Uh, 34% of internet users have been exposed to unwanted porn via ads, pop-ups, etc. Show of hands. Yep, there it is. Um, the teen, the teen porn category, has topped porn site searches for the last six years. So. Considering that um, uh, in most nations in the world, you, you've got, you know, uh, adult age is like 18 or 21 or something like that. The search, the most, um, the top search category for porn is for teen. At least 30% of all data transferred across the internet is porn related. So not just the downloads, but the general activity. One third of the world's internet activity is porn. The most common female role stated in porn titles is that of women in their 20s portraying teenagers. Uh, so it shows you that the uh, you know, the appetite is uh, very definitely perverted. And, um, recorded child sexual exploit, child exploitation, known as child porn, is one of the fastest growing online businesses according to the international, sorry, the Internet Watch Federation. Uh, just in the last year, 624,000 plus child porn traders have been discovered online in the US alone. 624,000 online child porn traders in the US alone just in the last year. Between 2005 and 2009, child porn was hosted on servers located in all 50 states in the United States. Porn is a global $97, sorry, $97 billion industry 
with 12 billion of that coming from the United States alone. In 2018, more than 5 billion hours of porn were consumed on the, just on the world's largest porn site, Pornhub. So just on that one site, 5 billion hours of porn was consumed in one year. Um, Eleven pornography sites are amongst the world's top 300 most popular internet sites. The most popular such site at number 18 outranks MSN, Netflix and eBay. Um, lesbian was the most searched for porn term on the world's um, largest site in 2018. That same site also received, there's so many zeros, I've got a 33,500,000 site visits in 2018 alone. So the, the largest porn site, 33 billion site visits just in one year. Is there anyone else feeling sick at the moment? So this, this is, so, so don't think that porn is teenage boys and dirty old men hanging around strange shops, right? It is, it is now, you, do, do you understand? More people are watching porn than Netflix. That's, that's how bad it is. I mean, because we all look at Netflix as, like when Netflix arrived, it, was, it like changed the face of how we watch TV, right? There is less people watching Netflix than watching, not porn in total, just Pornhub. So that's just one company. So it, it just gives you an idea of, of how bad it is. So I, I guess, you, you know, you start thinking about that and then let's think about how many people are being impacted by it and then let's think about what it does, okay? Now, you, porn is a drug. I think this is the thing that you've got to understand is that um, a lot of people are convinced that there's no such thing as an addiction to porn, but science disproved the old belief that in order to have an addiction to something, it has to involve a substance that is physically put into the body, like cigarettes, alcohol, or drugs. Excessive consumption of internet porn bears all the signs and dangers of a true addiction. 
Now, I, I think the thing that you've, you've got to understand is the enemy is doing everything in his power to get people on this. And the, like no one gets up in the morning and says, you know what, I might try porn, right? Like, is there, uh, we, we don't have cameras, no one's gonna know on the recording. Is there anyone here who can put up their hand and say, that's actually what happened with me. I just decided one day that I might try porn. Or, okay, so we do have one. All right, who here got introduced to it by someone else? Right, there it is, okay? So there, there is, the, the vast majority of us get engaged in this through someone else inducting us into it. Now, um, for me, uh, I was about 11 or 12, and uh, in, in my father's church, there was a, uh, a family uh, that had two daughters who were the same age as my brother and I. And so as, as families, we just had a great time together. You know, we, um, the, the four parents all got along and the four kids all got along and we, just, we were just having a ball. And one day we were over at their house and the girls were very silly and giggly and excited and uh, didn't really know what was going on. And, and this family had a whole bunch of sheds down in the back of the house that they were uh, renting. And the girls were, said, come with us, come with us. We want to show you something. And they took us down to um, these sheds and we went inside and here was their father's porn magazine stash. And the, the girls said, have a look at this and, and opened it up and you know, opened up a magazine. And um, I'm sure for those of you that have been exposed, <coughs> It's, it's like some kind of mental explosion. It, like it has an immediate instant impact. It's, it's shocking and disgusting and exhilarating and all at the same, is there anyone else that can relate to what I'm saying? And so that was, that was the tool that started me on my journey through this this subject and and wasn't even dealt with until we were married i was i was pastoring people i was pastoring and this thing had me by the throat and uh it only came out uh after we were married and brit caught me looking at porn on the internet. And you can, you can imagine how heartbreaking and devastating that was. But through 
the process of that coming out, we we started to deal with it, and and it and it wasn't that that what didn't fix me either. I mean, you know, I I still struggled after that, and I, like I'm bearing my heart. I'm telling you this because I want you to understand that I get it, right? I, 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 sometimes people look at church leaders and they go, oh, you know, especially when they hear my story about how I was raised in a church and was a pastor at a young age and that sort of thing. And they go, oh, well, he, he doesn't know about life. And, and uh, yes, I do, people. And, and, you know, the enemy has done everything in his power to take me out as well. And pornography and masturbation were something that ruled my life until I actually started to face it and, and, and deal with it. So, you know, I want you, like, the, I guess what I'm, I'm wanting to do is I want to put my cards on the table and to say, I, I get it, I understand. So that for, if, if any of you are still still have this skeleton in your closet that you know, well, Todd gets what I'm going through. And, uh, but the thing is, I'm sure that you are surrounded by people who have, have wrestled or are wrestling with this and they want to walk with you and see you free. And tonight is about getting free. And if you are free, praise God. If you're not, praise God, you're going to get free. And praise God for the people who are going to get free after this because you're going to be equipped and tooled to help them walk through it. So let's talk about some of the things that it does. As I said, it's, it's addictive. It affects the brain like a drug. Repeated consumption of porn causes the brain to literally rewire itself. It triggers the brain to pump out chemicals and form new nerve pathways, leading to profound and lasting changes in the brain subject to a work of the Holy Spirit to heal it. Over time, excessive levels of pleasure chemicals cause the porn consumer's brain to develop tolerance just like the brain of a drug user. In the same way that a junkie eventually requires more and more of a drug to get a buzz or to even feel normal, regular porn consumers will end up turning to porn more often or seeking out more extreme versions or both to feel excited again. And once the porn habit is established, quitting can lead to withdrawal system symptoms similar to drugs. Uh, it affects sexual tastes. Uh, many porn consumers find themselves getting aroused by things that used to disgust them or things that they may, might have previously considered to be inappropriate or unethical. As individuals consume more extreme and dangerous sex acts, they gradually begin to feel that those behaviours are more common and acceptable than they really are. Which is why today, when you consider 
the number of people who have been consuming porn through the internet since, you've got to remember, this has been happening now since the late 90s. All right? People have been downloading porn since about 1995 when the internet was able to effectively deliver images. So where are we? 95, 2005, 2015, we're nearly 2020. So that's a quarter of a century of porn being downloaded, delivered, delivered to your home. You don't need to walk out the door. You don't need to go to a store. It's right there for you, delivered on the internet. 25 years, who here is under 25 years of age? So there, we, for the whole of your life, people have been able to download pornography over the internet. Is it any wonder that today people say things like, oh, homosexuality is fine? You know, you, you go back 30, 40 years, if someone owned up to being a homosexual, even in somewhere like Australia, they probably would have got beaten up for it. I'm just pointing out that the, the, yeah, the, the cultural shift that can take place in a society within a short lifetime, that, you, that something that disgusted a society is now not just tolerated, not just accepted, but is celebrated. That's really interesting. So pornography affects the mind or the brain. It also affects the heart. Uh, porn leaves consumers lonely. Porn promises immediate satisfaction, endless excitement and easy intimacy. But in the end, it robs the consumer of all three. The more pornography an individual consumes, the more he or she tends to withdraw emotionally from real people and rely on porn. Eventually, it becomes more difficult to be aroused by a real person or to form a real relationship. And the resulting isolation and loneliness fuel the need for more pornography. Our porn hurts a consumer's partner. Partners of porn consumers often report feeling angry, confused and betrayed when they find out that the other half of their committed relationship has been watching porn. Consumers may have no idea how they are hurting their own relationships and the people that they love. Porn damages consumers' sex lives. According to research and personal accounts, instead of increasing sexual enjoyment, porn often leads to a less satisfying sex in the long run, and for many porn consumers, no sex at all. Porn promises a virtual world filled with sex, more sex and better sex. What it doesn't mention, however, is that the further a porn consumer goes into that fantasy world, 
the more likely their reality is to become just the opposite. Porn often leads to less sex and less satisfying sex. And for many consumers, porn eventually means no sex at all. Um, porn is full of lies. In porn, everything, everything from the way people look to the way they have sex is a fantasy. A fantasy. Porn consumers often become so obsessed with chasing the fantasy that they miss out on actual love and relationships. Now, all, all of these details I, I got from Fight the New Drug, and their, their tag phrase is, porn kills love. Sure, porn is fake, but what's wrong with a little harmless fantasy? The problem is, porn isn't harmless at all. Studies show that viewing porn makes consumers more critical of their partner and less satisfied with their romantic relationship and sex life. Not only does porn impact romantic relationships, but porn influences the ways people, the ways individuals view themselves, as well as friends, family members, and even the general public around them. And as if that wasn't bad enough, Porn also changes the ways that individuals view even the hobbies and the passions that they once loved. It steals from every area of your life. Now, that's, like I said, that came from Fight the New Drug. But what does the Bible have to say about porn? Now, the thing is, you actually find that the Bible's got a lot to say about it. Um, and if you, if you want to go and dig for yourself, there's, there's a lot of, of stuff that's been translated in the Bible as sexual immorality or, or statements, comments like that. The thing that you've got to understand is under that, English translation, there is one word that is used over and over and over throughout the New Testament, and that word in the Greek is pornia. And it's where we get the word pornography from. And it's used to describe basically any illicit sexual activity outside of marriage is tagged Pornia. Porn, E-A. So you can jump onto Blue Letter Bible, do a word search on it, and go and study it for yourself. But I've got a, a few key scriptures that I, I want to bring out, and uh, you might want to take note of these to have a look at for yourself. The first one is 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 13. 1 Corinthians 6, 13 reads, you say, food for the stomach and stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant 
for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Now, what Paul is doing is he's picking up a colloquialism of the day, food for the stomach and stomach for food, and he's paralleling that to sexual immorality, and he's saying, no, that's not the case. Your body is not there simply to be satiated by its wants and needs. That's what he's saying. He's he's instead saying, no, your body is for the Lord. And the Lord is for, or the Lord desires or wants your body just as much as he wants your mind and your spirit. See, the, the yielding of our lives to Christ is a total yielding. And so whether it's, whether, regardless of what the appetite is, whether it's the, a, an appetite for food or an appetite for sex, what he's saying is you, you are not there. The purpose of your creation is not to satiate your appetite. The purpose of your creation is to be there for the Lord. You exist for God, not for yourself. Secondly, a very simple scripture. Acts 20, verse, oh, sorry, Exodus 20, verse 14. You shall not commit adultery. And adultery is being used uh, in this instance as a cover-all for any kind of sexual activity outside of the marriage relationship. And if if you're not sure about that, go and study Leviticus, where the Ten Commandments get expanded and expounded and unpacked. And you will see in Leviticus that when it says you shall not commit adultery, it's saying by adultery, we mean don't have sex with your neighbor. Don't have sex with your cousin. Don't have sex with your auntie or your uncle or your sister or, right, or animals. And it blows it out and shows you exactly what God's saying around this then you can't read Exodus 20:14 without jumping to Matthew 5 verse 27 and 28 where Jesus expounds on this same scripture and says you've heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery but i say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And this is a key scripture for everything that we're talking about tonight, is anyone who looks at, you know, it's doing it from a male perspective here, but any, well, even that doesn't count today, does it? But anyone who looks at another with lust has already committed adultery with them in their heart. 
So that's the, the second um, key point. Now, 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 and 10, and we touched on this last week. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 and 10. Do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Don't commit adultery. And by adultery, we're saying don't lust. And if you lust, you will be judged as someone who has committed adultery. And adulterers don't inherit the kingdom of God. So, Let's make this, let's really bring this home and make it abundantly clear. Pornography is lusting after people on the internet and that will put you into hell. Am I being clear enough? Yeah. Did you hear that on the recording? <laughs> All right, we... This is the thing. These, we, we're at a point in history where we need to start standing up and saying, let, let me try to make this as clear as possible. I don't want you to have any misgivings about what I'm saying. When you watch porn, you are committing adultery or fornication with those people that you are watching. Because Jesus said, if you lust after someone, you are committing adultery. And Paul said, no adulterer will enter the kingdom of heaven. And so if you're not entering the kingdom of heaven, then you will be entering the kingdom of hell. And so, I, you know, we, we need to be taking a stance like this so that we can say to, to people, it, it's not okay. It's not that it's just not okay. Doing this is going to put you into hell. Repent. Turn away from it. So we need to be this clear on this subject. Now, I think it is fair and reasonable to say that when people watch pornography, they don't just watch pornography. When people are engaging in pornography, the intent is to satiate lust and from that, either right there and then or later, they're feeding their lust to arouse themselves for orgasm. Right? That, am I being clear enough? And, and sadly, you can go through health 
websites and things like this where they're trying to say that, that things like pornography and subsequently masturbation is actually somehow healthy in a healthy sexual relationship. Now, I, I think hopefully I've started to paint the picture that that just is not the case. And when you start digging into these reports to find out where the data from this is coming from, you find out that it's coming from um, studies that have been done by condom and sex toy manufacturers. And that's where these, where these statistics that are saying that this stuff is healthy and okay, you, you can't just believe what what, you know, when it says, doc, you know, doctors say that this stuff is healthy, it's like, well, where's that coming from? It's really important to go digging into the background of where these reports are coming from. Propaganda. And yeah, and it is, it's propaganda. And, and I, as I went looking at some of these things, I, I often found that the reports were coming out of studies, that they're marketing studies being done by sex toy manufacturers and condom manufacturers. And these are the people who are trotting out these statistics. Um, so we're, now let's get on to the, um, the, the really scary subject. We're going to start talking about masturbation. So masturbation, a subject joked about by teenagers the world over and frowned upon by societies glo globally for seemingly unknown reasons. Yet so many circles want to try to tell us that it's normal, even healthy in its activity. So here are some statistics that I've collated on the subject, but these come from the Health and Disease Medical Journal. 95% of men and 89% of women have at some point in their life masturbated. 55% of men and 48% of women stated that they masturbated at least once a week. Now, it's, if you go and you have a look at the stats, and then you have a look at the stats of porn, you start to see a correlation. Because it was about 55% of men who looked at porn at least once or twice a week. Do you remember that? And so here we've got the same statistic. They're running parallel. 40% uh, of women preferred masturbation over sex. And the sex toy market, which is vastly oriented to females, is in excess of a $9.9 billion industry. So again, um, the, while pornography might be um, consumed more by men over women, a little bit more, when it comes to sex toys, that industry is driven by women, not men. And so it's just, uh, and I'm pointing this out because, like I said before, there's this kind of myth 
that masturbation is about dirty old men and raging teenage boys. And, and females who find themselves in this can, can often get into that mindset of, you know, I, I'm weird, I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really broken, I'm really dirty, um, there's something really wrong with me because girls don't do this, right? I mean, that's kind of one of those myths that I want to remove is because we're, like we're seeing, 89% of women have masturbated at some point in their life. 48% of women in this study, which was of about 13,000 people, 48% of them said that they'd masturbated in the last week at the time of that study. So I... Again, I'm not normalizing masturbation. What I'm saying, I'm trying to show how, how prevalent the disease is. Am I making sense? This is not about normalizing it or accepting it. I'm just wanting to show you how, how deep the rot has run into our society. Um, so let's start off by addressing, well, what's so wrong with masturbation? From the perspective of the world, who's to say if it is wrong? While the world agrees in the globally unacceptable action of murder, masturbation doesn't harm anyone, supposedly, so who's to say that it's wrong? But what about from a Christian perspective? Quoting Focus on the Family, masturbation is a controversial topic. The Bible never directly addresses it, and Christian leaders have different opinions about its spiritual and moral implications. And there are those, and I will, I will editorially add, sadly, actually advocate for it. Um, Abigail Ryan, a Christian author who teaches literature and gender studies at George Fox University. She writes for The Atlantic Sexes and is the author of a book, Ira Gray, Incarnation and Contemporary Women's Fiction. She says, for those who plan to wait until marriage to have sex, masturbation can be a healthy way of dealing with natural sexual desire while single. I want you to notice that term, natural sexual desire. The expectation that young men and women should go 10 or 15 years or more beyond puberty without expressing their sexuality in any way and then suddenly turn it on when married is, I believe, completely unrealistic and potentially harmful. How can we expect people to embrace the sexual dimension of embodiment in marriage while pushing the message that touching certain parts of one's own body is inherently dirty and shameful? Now, I, I want to say I do not agree with these positions, but I want you to understand that there is those out there that are, are putting these and I, want, and I want you, the reason that I'm doing this is I want you to hear, listen carefully to the language, I want you to hear the perspective and the, the motive that it's coming from. Richard Beck is a professor, 
Professor and Department Chair of Psychology at Abilene Christian University. He is the author of Unclean Meditations on Purity, Hospitality and Mortality and the Authenticity of the Faith. He says, I think it is important to recognise how masturbation functions in the life of those who are single and even for those who eventually get married. We need to note how marriage has become increasingly delayed in Western cultures. In the 1960s, the median average for marriage of both genders was in the early 20s. We discussed that last week. And in ancient cultures, we married even as teenagers. Given this delay, how are we to manage our sex drive from the onset of puberty to the wedding night? to say nothing of the sexual challenges involved in lifelong singleness. All that to say, masturbation may be a vital aspect in how single persons cultivate and achieve sexual chastity. That is, masturbation may be a critical part in how a single person achieves emotional and sexual well-being if they hold to an ideal that sexual relationships should only take place within a covenanted, lifelong, monogamous relationship. Hmm, interesting. Tara Owens is a spiritual director, speaker and author with Anam Kara Ministries. She teaches on the topic of spirituality and sexuality in seminaries, and spiritual direction training programs throughout North America. I want you to understand that these are people who lots of people listen to, right? And, and I'm, I, are you picking the, the channel that they're coming from as I'm going through this? So she writes, like many of the questions surrounding sexuality, I don't think we can find simple answers or any answers that hold together in real life situations outside of the context of relationship. For me, sexuality is broader than mere genital expression, intercourse, foreplay, masturbation, etc., and encompasses all of the embodied ways that we desire connection with the world, with one another and with God, as well as all the ways we go about expressing that desire. While that definition can be taken to extremes, taking a broader view of sexuality allows us to see the ways that sexuality impels us to connection with one another. Taken in this context, masturbation and whether it is, whether or not is a healthy expression of sexuality for a particular individual, become questions of whether or not the acts of masturbation at a particular season of life are drawing you deeper into isolation from others and from God or deeper into connection and intimacy. How does this play out? The answer will be different for different people in different contexts, but the principles underlying those answers will be the same. A single woman in her 20s who is discovering her body and her desires might be approaching masturbation as a celebration of sexuality and the gift of her body and desires. She could equally begin using masturbation as a place to take her sorrows, longings and insecurities. 
In the former, masturbation can be a healthy expression of sexuality if kept squarely in the context of a relationship, which in her case is with God, with her future mate and with herself. In the latter, masturbation quickly becomes a place to go to hide from others and God, a place that, like any appetite-fulfilling activity, can quickly lead to addiction. Ultimately, the question of whether or not masturbation is healthy for a particular person springs from the question that governs all good discernment. Does this action help me love myself and others more fully and freely? And does it allow me to love God more deeply and with more of myself? If you take this question as your baseline for the question of masturbation, a husband who chooses masturbation for a season while he and his wife parent young children can be seen as freeing and loving a choice appropriate to healthy sexuality, as masturbation can take the sexual pressure off the relationship and lead to greater intimacy, as long as the decision is discussed and not made unilaterally. On the other side of that situation, masturbation chosen out of frustration and expediency would push him further away from his spouse, compounding relational tension and making loving each other and God a further hill to climb in an already exhausted and exhausting situation. Now, can you hear what the drive is in all these quotes? Does someone want to throw out to me what you're picking up in what these three experts are saying on the subject? It's good and healthy. Yeah, it's good and healthy. They're Sorry? They're condoning it. They're con definitely condoning it. Right. Why are they condoning it? Because the sex drive is inevitable. The sex drive is inevitable. They're saying that that particular expression is natural. Yeah, so natural expression, yeah? They're saying you can't deny yourself. You can't deny yourself and you, you can't deny that sexual drive because that's natural. It's normal. Like it, it's, it's God given even. So the premise of these ideas is that the sexual drive is a natural God given and pleasurable expression that needs to find an outlet. Now the previous statements and others like them also flirt with the idea that the physical sexual act of masturbation can somehow be divorced from the activity of the mind. Again, quoting focus on the family, for our part, we don't think that there is much use in labeling the act of masturbation itself as sin. In fact, we think that misses the point. I will address that in a moment. I want to outline why I believe masturbation is wrong on a couple of counts. But first, I've got a quote from John Piper. He says, let me address this issue mainly for men. I cannot imagine sexual orgasm in the loins without sexual image in the mind. 
I know there are nocturnal emissions which I regard as innocent and helpful, but I doubt that they are ever orgasmic apart from a sexual dream that supplies the necessary image in the mind. Evidently, God has constituted the connection between sexual orgasm and sexual thought in such a way that the force and pleasure of orgasm is dependent on the thought or images in our mind. Fair call? Therefore, in order to masturbate, it is necessary to get vivid and exciting thoughts or images into the mind. This can be done by pure imagination or by pictures or movies or stories or real persons. These images always involve, in, in this case he's talking about women as sexual objects. I use the word object because in order for a woman to be a true sexual subject in our imagination, she must in reality be one with whom we are experiencing what we are imagining. Does everybody understand that? Right? To be the, the difference between the subject of uh, affection, love, sexual interaction, the difference between a subject and an object is the subject is part of the experience and object is separate from the experience. Yeah? This is not the case with masturbation. So I vote no on masturbation. There may be other reasons why it is wrong, but for now I rest my vote on the inevitable sexual images which accompany masturbation and which turn women into sexual objects. Does that make sense? So the first point is this. Masturbation provokes lust. So on this first point is why I believe masturbation is wrong, is that it provokes lust in the individual. Lust is sin, and sin leads to death. Not just eternal death, but death to the spiritual life of the believer even now. Back to quoting John Piper. One of the major forces preventing young people from obeying the call of God into vocational Christian service is defeat in the area of lust. A teenager hears a challenging call to throw himself into the cause of world evangelization. He feels the promptings of the Holy Spirit. He tastes the thrill of following the King of Kings into battle. But he does not obey because he is masturbating regularly. He feels guilty. He can hardly imagine witnessing to a pretty girl about the eternal plight of her soul because he has so habitually looked at girls naked in his imagination. So he feels unworthy and unable to obey the call of God. And so masturbation becomes the enemy of evangelization and missions. Is there anyone aside from me who can relate to that? <laughs> yeah? It's like, what right have I got to be talking to, to anyone 
about giving their life to Christ when I can't even give this part of my life to Christ. Yeah? The second thing, so the first thing is that masturbation provokes lust. The second thing is that the the actual physical act of masturbation in itself is a perversion. The physical act of masturbation is a perversion of the sexual act. Focus of the family states it this way. The Bible has two important things to say about the meaning and purpose of sex. Number one, sex is central to the process by which husband and wife become one flesh, right? And secondly, Sex and marriage are intended to serve as a picture. A picture of what? It's a symbol of the union between Christ and the church. Right? We quote this scripture at every wedding. And yet we, the moment we walk away from the wedding, we forget that the act of sex is not there for simply the the satiation of, of physical appetite. It has an express purpose. I joked last week about how sex for a married couple is spiritual warfare. And the reason that it is, is that it, it expresses to the principalities and powers, remember what it is that God is doing here on the earth. He is creating for himself a union which you are not a part of. There is a joining together taking place. And this act that that you are witnessing here bears witness to what God is doing on the earth. And that is what sex is for. <laughs> that, is, that is its primary function. Its primary function is to display, as it says in Ephesians 3.10, the manifold wisdom, the, the many dimensional forms of wisdom of God. The physical sexual act is literally demonstrating what God is doing in the union that is Christ and the church. And so whenever any form of sexual activity takes place outside of the realm of marriage, it is a a perversion of, of this demonstration. Is that making sense? And so it throws in the face of God a a resistance to his divine plan and purpose. You see, um, the purpose of our existence is to bring glory to God, right? That is, every single one of you has been created with the express purpose of bringing glory to God. And sex within the, the confines of marriage brings God glory, But any form of sex which is outside of that is is, um, a 
a rebellion to our created purpose. Does that make sense? So am I doing a good enough job of demonstrating why even the act of masturbation is, is wrong? Do, does that help actually understand why the physical act is wrong? Because it, even once you divorce it from lust, if you can divorce it from lust, and, and I doubt very much that you can. I, I, I don't believe, no matter how much people might want to academically argue the point, I do not believe that, that under normal circumstances it is possible for someone to masturbate without exchanging in lust. However, even if it were possible, you are partaking in a perversion that brings disrepute to the glory of God. Is that helpful? All right. So God created the whole act of sex in humanity to be an act of giving. Each one to the other that would result in a miraculous production of more humanity. Right? So we give God glory and we give it to him not by taking, not by receiving, but by giving. And of course, when we, we get to, you know, like sex in marriage is one of the things we're going to be talking on is this whole concept. So even in the physical act of masturbation, if you were able to totally divorce yourself from lust in the process... It turns something designed to be inherently giving into something that is self-serving and self-gratifying. So for this reason, the previous arguments presented about masturbation being used in a healthy way, either as a single or within a marriage, just don't hold up. Within the context of a marriage, am I saying that any act of manual stimulation is wrong? No, of course not. When couched in the context of marriage, the giving of pleasure to one another is appropriate and healthy, right? That, that because the whole purpose of sex within the framework of marriage, because it is an act of giving, they, you know, that, that sort of activity is, is acceptable. So let's talk then about how do we break the power of masturbation? Through all this, I believe we should come to the place of recognising that as spirit-filled, grace-empowered, disciplined, disciplined followers of Jesus Christ, masturbation has no place in that kind of a lifestyle. So for those of us who struggle, what do we do? First of all, my first key is recognize the source. Masturbation usually becomes a controlling influence via one of two channels. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't others, but I just want to keep in mind the usual suspects, okay? 
So number one, a self-soothing behaviour, a way to cope with pressures and to try to meet some basic human needs for peace and security, comfort and reassurance. And the second, as we were pointing out earlier with pornography, tends to be a traumatic introduction to perversion, such as exposure to porn or sexual abuse. If it's the former, John Piper encourages us to pursue, and I love this phrase, this is a beautiful phrase, pursue the expulsive power of a new affection. Focus on the family suggests plan to replace the negative behaviour with a valid way to address those underlying needs. If it is the latter, you may find that you actually need to step into some levels of deliverance to break the stronghold established in your life. So how do you break the, the cycle? Well, of course, what better place to finances than the scripture? <laughs> So uh, let's turn to James chapter 4, verse 5 to 10. Here's a wonderful scripture on masturbation. <laughs> isn't, it, isn't it funny how you, the, the application of scripture to life James 4, verse 5 to 10. Do you think that the scriptures have no meaning? They say that God is passionate, that the spirit he has placed within us should be faithful to him. Do you hear that? In the old King James, it says, the spirit yearns jealously. God is passionate that the spirit he has placed within us should be faithful to him. And he gives grace generously. As the scriptures say, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up in honour. So let's sum up this passage with some action steps. Number one, be humble. The key to come overcoming this, or in fact any other sin, is our humility. Notice how James begins by pointing out that the Holy Spirit, who indwells all believers, is yearning with us jealously. He is yearning for us to stop our sinning ways. Our only hope of overcoming this sin is to depend on God. This being the case, we are told that God resists the proud. That is, he doesn't help those who do not recognise their need for him. Rather, it says he gives grace to the humble. Grace is God's divine empowerment in our life. Our humility is crucial to overcoming sin. The reason for this is that 
When we are humble, we admit that we have a sin problem. In this case, we're in love with pleasing ourselves. It feels good, right? Although pleasing ourselves is not necessarily a sin, it usually will be since we are not created to please ourselves but God. Have you thought about that? You know, we say, well, pleasing yourself is not a sin. No, but usually it probably will be because inherent to it is selfishness. Am I making sense? Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that we need to all take up an aesthetic life and go and sit on a, a pole in, in, in the cold. And Yeah, I'm not... I'm not suggesting something like that, right? But, but what I'm saying is that when the focus of our life is on pleasing ourselves, which masturbation is just an expression of that, ultimately we are living a selfish lifestyle. And that's the opposite of what we're called to in a relationship with God and with others. Right? You, ultimately, every single one of us is called to give, and, and so where out of our life it, it is becoming about you and your needs, there, there is a chance that you're getting off track. I, well, you know, I need time for myself. Well, well do you? Because actually all your time got purchased at the cross. When, the, when Christ purchased your life through that brutal beating through that whipping post and being put on that cross it's actually not your time anymore well you know I, I, I you know I, I like doing these uh, you know hobbies or I, I like you know Charles Finney said any man who has to go fishing to find restoration has a problem with his relationship with God. Yeah, interesting. So the first step is humility. Second step, submit to God. Your only hope in overcoming your urges and desires is to have God's help. And that means Submitting. Submitting means to surrender your thoughts and desires to the Lord and place them under His authority. So, submitting your life is rendering your thoughts, your ideas, your thought processes, giving them to God and saying, God, everything that I am doing, Paul said that we are to bring every thought into captivity every thought into captivity. You know, there, there's that saying, you can't stop the birds flying over your head, but you can stop them nesting in your hair. Right? It, uh, guys, it's the second look that'll kill you. A beautiful woman walks past. The first thing that you're going to do is notice her because she's beautiful. But it's when... The, the noticing of the beauty turns into a lust 
that's when it gets you. Does that make sense? And so it's not, there's nothing wrong with looking at someone who is beautiful and saying, that's a beautiful woman. Right there. <laughs> What's, what is wrong is when your thought goes to bedding that woman, now you've got a problem. Yes? Number three, resist the devil. If we keep doing the same things in the same way under the same conditions, is it any wonder that we get the same results? If you masturbate by looking or reading pornography, get rid of every piece of pornographic material that you have. If you go to pornographic sites on the internet, do whatever it takes to block your access to those sites. If that doesn't work, get rid of the internet altogether. If you go and you get it on your phone, drop back to a good old fashioned flip phone that all you can do is ring people and play snake. <laughs> right? Um, do whatever you need to do to remain pure. You know, if at certain times of the day um, or certain conditions that repeat, own up to it. Change the conditions. Tell the people that you trust around you. Like, dob, I, the way I say it is, while you are sane, dob Crazy Todd in, right? If Crazy Todd is, is going to go and do this stuff, when Sane Todd shows up, don't cover for Crazy Todd. Dob him in, you know, and say, hey, you know, Jared, don't let me, you know, um, you know, go in the bathroom with my phone, all right, because that's when Crazy Todd's going to try to look at porn. Right? You, you, it's doing stuff like that. It's being willing to own up to when you know that, that you will pursue these things. Own up to it. Tell your, your brothers and sisters around you. Tell, tell those that you love and trust. Own it. Put it out on the table while you're, while you're in a sane mindset so that they can block your crazy side from having its way. And that's that kind of stuff. That is what resisting the devil is. Resistance is to put up blocks, to build barricades, to, to, to make it hard for the enemy to get through to you. Do what you need to do to build those resistances, whatever it takes. You know, you, you look at the story of Joseph. When, when he's in the house, he'd already had one run in with Potiphar's wife. Why, oh, why would you go back in the house? Right? Oh, well, you know, I need to do my job. No, no, I'm sorry. That was crazy Joseph talking. Right? What he should have done is stayed a mile away from the front door of the house. He, that, that day when Potiphar came home after that first event, 
He should have said, boss, I need to have a talk to you about something. Circumstances have changed a little. We need to rework things here so that whenever I'm working, I'm doing it from the servant's quarters. Do you think perhaps we could set up someone as just a runner to, to the house any time that, you know, what, why do we need to do that? Everything's working fine. No, 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 boss. I, I, I feel for the sake of your wife and to, you know, just to make sure that she has her own space and she doesn't have me getting under her feet. Let's just rework things. That's what he should have done, right? If he'd done that, he would have never ended up in prison. And I know that that means that he wouldn't have ended up leading. But, but you get what I'm saying, right? You, you get the point that I'm making, right? Poor old Joseph had to go through that to get to the point that, but, but I guess that's one of those things where you go, so learn from Joseph's mistakes and find the shortcuts into your calling. Don't have to go down these paths. Um, number four, draw near to God. As you run away from Satan, run to the Lord. This means make pursuing God your number one purpose. If you continually focus on not masturbating, where are you looking? At masturbation. You understand what I'm saying? I mustn't masturbate. I mustn't masturbate. I mustn't masturbate. What are you talking to yourself about? Instead, put your focus on God. God, what is it that you have got for my life? In, instead, instead of viewing yourself as <laughs> the dirty little masturbator, start talking to yourself about who you are in Christ. What are you called to be, right? Who, what, what is your destiny in God? You know, I, you, so you start telling yourself, I'm, I'm the guy... Who's, who's going to be running 20 house churches in two years? I'm the, I'm the, I'm the person that's going to be leading a revival at the university. I, I'm, I'm going to visit 50 nations to share the gospel in the next 10 years. You know what I'm saying? Talk about that guy. Don't, you know, don't worry about the, uh, who you are now. Focus on who God is calling you to be and get your eyes on that direction. And that's what John Piper meant by the power, the expulsive power of a new affection. As you focus your attention there, it will cause all this stuff to drop away because your calling is so much more important than your appetite. And that will give you the breakthrough. Finally, stop goofing off about this stuff. Stop being foolish about it and take it seriously and recognise how much you are hurting those that, that are around you and how much you are hurting yourself. If you don't take it seriously, you're going to be a slave to it for a long, long time. And it is hurting you. It's hurting your spouse or your future spouse. It's hurting your relationships and it's hurting the Lord. For those of you who are struggling with this problem, I want to encourage you with this. Fight the good fight. Have faith in God and trust him. 
And if you fail, because that's what 1 John says, if you sin, not when you sin, if you sin, make, make a decision tonight. This ends for me tonight. But if you sin, remember this. God still loves you. If you fall, he will pick you up. And if you call out to him, he will raise you back into your rightful calling. Periodic failure in this area no more disqualifies you from your identity, calling and ministry than periodic failures of impatience, which is also sin. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness except masturbation. Is that right? All unrighteousness. All unrighteousness. The enemy does such a wonderful job of of tempting you with something and then the moment you take it, accusing you for taking it. That's the way that he works. But if you confess your sin, he will forgive you and cleanse you. So praise God for that. And that's where you live. Praising God that even if I do fail, he will cleanse me. If I'm willing to confess, he will set me free. Here endeth the lesson.